This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark, and with me as always, my good buddy Frank. Hey, Mark. Hello, fine people of the world. <laughs> Listeners who like to play along at home know that they can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and wherever you find fine, high-quality USDA Grade A Prime podcasts. Yes, that's right. New episodes drop to your ears every Friday, and of course... Remember this. Mm-hmm. They're for your listening pleasure. Oh, they certainly are. For our new listeners, this is the podcast where Frank and I recommend albums for each other to check out and give them a thorough review. We also have a wide variety of other musical discussions, like our Spotlight series, where we dig into a band's catalog and see what comes out of the other side. <laughs> or in our verse series, where we pit two albums, sometimes three against each other. And get this, they duke it out for total stereo domination. <laughs> you get good at that, buddy. <laughs> there you go. Be sure to check us out on, uh, on Instagram and on our Facebook group. We like to drop additional content hopefully leaving you wanting more of Frank's musical knowledge and goodness, and of course, my random uh, spunkiness and nonsense. Uh, if you've got a record you want us to check out, just drop a comment wherever you found us, because part of this podcast is interacting with you and, and finding out what you want to listen to. So drop us a, a line wherever you find us. While you're at it, do all that like and subscribe and give us a bunch of hearts and farts, whatever you're doing out there these days. So I say this, Frank. Yes, Mark. How are you, my man? You know, Mark, we did this to ourselves. And and first of all, I'm good. I just want to let it be known. I am good. But, yeah. you know, just dreaming usually of those rock and roll weekends. But what I mean is here we are again, Mark, mm-hmm. chatting up on the Foo Fighters. We just yeah. did a review of their self-titled in episode 48, found in the archives, by the way. But uh-huh. here we are again as they released a new album, which uh-huh. I guess in the COVID world makes sense for bands to do this. But they had this album uh, completed actually this time last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Uh, the, the Foo were ready to hit the roads in support of it uh, for, for April and May. But of course, uh, those didn't happen. You know, they were going to call it the Van Tour. It was going to be, remember, we just said 25 years since the, uh, that first album, uh, or maybe we didn't. The, the first album came out 25 years ago, and and they were going to do a tour called the Van Tour. To, to they were going to follow that same route of the tour. You know, just much much bigger venues. Um, you know, that didn't happen be- because, as Frank said, COVID. So they they sat on this turd for a year. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's first talk about first impressions with uh, Medicine at Midnight. Frank, when was the first time you took? medicine at midnight it's been a while it's been a while but you know when when looking at this album i was like okay nine songs which i seem to be you know it seems to be a trend right now 
And and on a side note, usually there's minimum of, of, of 10, but hey, a band probably figures, let's just put out what we have there. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. So on, on to the album, Dave Grohl stated he wanted to make a Saturday night dance album. Saturday night dance album. It's hard for me not to say Saturday Night Fever. Don't ask me. Anyway, this basically translates to a pop rock album. And I guess that's what rock bands today, that's what they're exactly doing. Uh, Grohl was influenced by David Bowie heading into this record as well. But back to the first impressions, compared to 2017's Concrete and Gold, this album is less big sounding and more fundamental and simple. Uh, There's stuff I like here and there's stuff I didn't really care for at all. How about you with regards to first impressions? You know, I remember... Uh, seeing that they'd be playing a new track on SNL back in November. And yes. I was really pumped. I, I was excited. You know, I, I always want the best for the Foo Fighters. Um, I had no idea what the album was supposed to be. This Saturday Night Fever, Saturday Night It's All Right, <laughs> Fighting, whatever this dance party he wanted to do. I didn't know, <laughs> right? Um, so I went in pretty open-minded. You know, so that SNL performance, they played Shame Shame. And I was underwhelmed, to say the least. Uh, but I kept an open mind. And, and when the album dropped, I went in ready um, for it to be unlike what I would expect from a Foo Fighters album, uh, because I knew based on the, the few things I'd heard before that this wasn't going to be our atypical Foo Fighters album. And, and we were right. Uh, it's, it, it's what I expected. And that's to say it was not a record I expected out of them, because um, it was I just did. How do you see a train wreck like this coming? Let's jump into the... <laughs> And now for a transition, let's yes. jump into the, the track by track and see uh, if we find, uh, see, excuse me, see what we find under the bubble gum uh, that is this record. Frank, why yeah. don't you kick us off with the opening track? Oh, man, I would say it's my pleasure. But in this case, it's it's, it's really not uh, making a fire. People are going to hate me for this. But listen, I hate everything about this song. It's ear grating to me. I, I can't stand the na na nas. It's super corny. The lyrics are overly simple, um, it, it, and they don't really complement uh, the, the even corny music. Uh, the chorus is stock, and it follows suit of these crap pop rock bands today that don't resemble act the actual rock that the Foo Fighters are or that they were known for. I can't stress enough how how this song is just an exemplar of what I don't like in today's rock songs. And I and and what do I know, right? I'm just a bald guy with a po- with a podcast, right? Um and um I just don't like it. I just don't like it at all. I, I didn't have to listen to the rest of the album to determine that this would be the least like track on the album. I despise this song in so many different ways and people want to come at me for it. Go, go ahead. But I, I can't stand this song. What did you think, Mark? Well, I, I'd like to first say that if that's the reason you hate Frank, you don't know him well. Enough. <laughs> um, but shots fired, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I kind of I dig this, the intro, the, the actual intro, the drums um for both the song and the album i thought it was a cool way to start the album uh taylor hawkins uh is by no means the weak part of this record right the the drumming here is fine um otherwise frank's completely right when he says uh, there isn't anything here this is uh uh, this will be a super fun and catchy live tune uh thanks to its generic nature i just don't think i'll be requesting (laughs) in any of their sets or performances ever yeah so track two is uh as i previously mentioned uh shame 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 
I really felt that there was a lot of Bowie influence in this one. It, it really takes a different structure and different pose. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see them pushing the envelope stylistically, which is cool. I wanted to hear a little something different out of them. Uh, you know, it sounds very modern and very hip. I just don't care for it. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, I don't hate this song, but I'm nowhere near loving it. Lyrically, we've heard Dave give us these sentiments across all nine of his other albums. It would have been cool to see him get a little bit more personal, particularly with this song. I don't know. <sighs> Frank? Yeah. First single from the album, as you said, right? It's a very indie rock feeling. It's a good example I feel how there could be elements of the song they really like and then not be in love with basically the rest of the song. So the chorus I like, it's actually, I think it's catchy. The rest, again, is just okay. I wish the song even had a different title um, because, listen, you get shame, shame, and the repetition then to me wouldn't be as just profound. Like, I get it. I get it. Shame, shame. I get it. It's definitely better than the first track, that's for sure, and, and kind of shared the same sentiment like you i i i didn't hate it per se um elements i liked and elements i didn't like track three is cloud spotter i i actually like this song i i wasn't sold on it until the big sounding chorus uh it's got some groove on the verses that i think is a good example of what they would sound like in 2021 uh, after being a band for all these years i like how it gets loud towards the end and grow does some screaming here um it's actually i probably one of my favorite tracks on on this album but what about you yeah, you know, more dance influence here um, with what sounds like a tribute almost to Prince. Um, mm. That said, I really dig the verse um, and hate the chorus. Oh, I really like that. Oh, I hate that. Um, they sound like two different songs literally just mashed together because they had no nothing else um, to do with. The, excuse me. What I mean to say is they couldn't finish either one of those two songs, so they just jammed them the fuck together. I hope that made my point more clear. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and really all that's tying them together is this just meaningless title, which gets repeated way too often. This reminds me a lot, Frank, of Bruce Springsteen's Letters to You, which we reviewed recently, and, and fans will remember that we hated it. Yes, um, I'm noticing a lot of similar patterns here. And now, obviously, Bruce Springsteen and Dave Grohl know a lot more about writing songs and selling records than you and I do. Um, but i got to be honest with you, this, this cheap ploy, which they're both going to pull throughout this entire record, and, both, and as Springsteen did as on his entire record, this is grinding me to no end. I can't stand it. They are far better songwriters than this, and we're only on track three. Jesus Christ. And that's the most frustrating part. Absolutely. And that Springsteen uh, review, again, found in our archives. It's our most listened to episode. You'll probably hate us after it, but you know what, though? At least we're being honest. Sorry to cut you off, Mark. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, to wrap up on this song, I think this could have been and should have been two much cooler songs. Track four, Waiting on a War. Jesus Christ, I hate that that rhymed. More, <laughs> more like waiting on something to happen in this fucking song. Holy shit, this song is boring as fuck. I honestly kept forgetting what there must be more of than this. Because why are we just saying that so many goddamn times? Thank it's you. so vague and ill-defined. Wait, what's that? We're at the three-minute mark and the song is doing something? It's finally building up to a rock song with just 30 seconds left? Oh, right, he's been waiting for war. That's right, he said it again. 
but there's got to be more to this than that. that. What the fuck, dude? Way, way to say nothing. Way to have nothing to say. That Fuck this song. Yeah, I mean, w- way to take the space that you're given and, again, absolutely say nothing. So I have big, I have a lot of beef with this tune as well. Uh, Grohl states growing up in D.C. and with lots of political tension, there was always the fear of war and inspired by his daughter who asked if there was going to be war. Listen, I have no problem with that. My beef, and Mark, you know how I like beef, is the structure... <laughs> It's the structure of the song. Right off the bat, we get the words waiting on a war and the first line of the song. And it's hammered into us shortly after for the chorus. Now, listen, if this was a folk tune, I'd be okay with it. The thing is, this is rock and roll. War is a big topic. And to have a chorus repeat, is there more to this than that over and over? I I think it's safe to say that we both find that very hard to engage with. Like, this is the best you could do. And it's into our skulls at practically most points in the song it's so mediocre and it's and what gets me aggravated is it's very mediocre to be getting all of this attention um like this track uh, it doesn't there make work to this than that right there has to be more to this than that i know that that's what people think about our podcast but right right but we're frank and mark and this is dave Grohl, right so there's there's expectation right sorry <laughs> very underwhelming of a song and um, whoever thought to put this as a single um, or I'm not sure it's an official single, but it was a song released before the album. I, I, I have beefs with it big time. Not a lot of choices there, Frank. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> oh, track five is the title track medicine at midnight. This has a let's dance. David Bowie vibed me. We get dancing a lot in this song. So that's the vibe they're going for here. Listen, it's not bad, but it's also not great. I don't mind the overall vibe. And I kind of like the guitar tone on the so on the solo. Um, it's like a notch below of the mere, the mid tier songs on this album. That that's really all I could say. What about you, Mark? Before I get into it, I want to ask, this is the title track. Does this song represent the album to you? Uh, I would say yes, it does. What about you? Yeah, just in that it's mediocre garbage. Right. Um, <laughs> but he is doing Bowie's voice in the beginning here, right? I, I would think so, yes. I, I guess I'm okay with it. I don't know. It doesn't... Uh, um, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I can't stand this track either. What medicine is he taking at midnight? A leaf? I, I just took some leaf. <laughs> so we're halfway through this record and I could care less about it. It's giving it's me new print. Oh, it's new print, little yellow. You know, different. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's formulaic to what the Foo song structure um, with some cool backing vocals and a bit of funk dance groove. This song does nothing for me. Like, I, I get that they're trying to do like a very like Bowie, bubblegum, poppy dance number. I just feel like it's not doing him any justice. And like I said, doing his voice at the beginning, I'm not saying it's offensive. I'm I'm saying it's not great. And I'd rather you just do it as yourself than do like a half. Forget a leave. Forget a leave. You might need a suppository, my friend. (laughs) I I may. Uh, Track number six, No Son of Mine. That's because I don't have kids. Musically, it's my favorite song on the album. It's got a cool tone. Yay! The lyrics are pointless and inconsequential. Uh, please stop naming songs after the chorus and stop making your chorus the same few words repeated a dozen times. I counted it, dude. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he says, he says, no son of mine, 
at least 28 times. He's better than this, right? Like, I, I don't even mind the backing vocals or the cool breakdown after that third chorus where you've heard No Son of Mine for like the 25th time. Um, it just feels like this generic lyrics aren't helping him at all. Like, dude, you can do better than this. Plus, this doesn't really fit on an otherwise pop record. It, you know, it's, it's the most Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters sounding song on the record. It just doesn't match anything else that's on this record, except for uh, the opening riff to the next track. Sounds like they just f- forgot to finish playing it. <laughs> what do you think of No Son of Mine, Frank? Is he better than this or, or that? Uh, right? It's got to be more of this than that, right? I, I would hope. <laughs> no Son of His. Yeah, exactly. Well, no son of mine either because I have daughters. But anyway, I like listen. I like the riff in the beginning and the and the the punky style drumming, the ahs in the background. I know I try to do that, but listen again. That's too much like these indie rock bands trying to be rock and roll bands today. I think if this was left out, uh, if that part was left out, it would have given the song a more overall raw feel. Um, as I do like the tempo change here, I like the riff breakdown in the middle. But again, it's it's a bag full of. Uh, for me and um mark i you know to hear this song uh, get compared at all to motorhead i mean what's your thoughts here i mean no not look it's the heaviest tune on there maybe they're using the same tuning as as a particular motorhead song but no it doesn't have the drive it's got the ah ahs which totally pull you out of any kind of thank you you know aggressive metal mode that any motorhead suggestion would suggest so yeah dear anyone saying that this is a motorhead track or or you know in the vein of motorhead or anything to that effect go fuck yourself (laughs) you heard it here folks absolutely (laughs) holding holding poison is the next track seven we're almost there i'm hearing 90s here and and i hear some similar vibes to to their second album i feel the pre-chorus again it's it's these parts in the songs i hear and i'm like okay it's not bad and then the chorus gets generic uh the breakdown was cool but what does that all translate to me at the end it's just hanging out there and being insanely mediocre that's my thoughts on this song what about you mark so are we sure this isn't the same riff of No Son is Mine? It could be. could be. It really sounds like it. And then Taylor Hawkins at a few points is full-blown disco drumming. Like, for good chunks of the song, he is just like Mr. Disco, and it's so fucking obnoxious. I hate it. Uh, this song doesn't know what it wants to be, and I can't stand it. Again, this is like two or three song ideas mashed together because they otherwise didn't stand on their own or they couldn't complete those songs on their own. There's no justification for why these songs fit together or why these parts fit together because they don't work. Um, all that said, and the breakdowns, breakdowns pretty cool. Um, they should have ended it there. I, you know, there's way, way, way too much uh, repeating choruses and verses and it, it just sucks. Uh, track eight. Track eight. Literally, uh, chasing birds. Um, I don't think it has any correlation to the Paul McCartney three album we just reviewed. Be sure to check it out in our archives. Uh, But this reminded me of what Paul did very well on that record, right? The clean guitar and the pretty soundscape. Otherwise, it's cliche as fuck (laughs) and boring as uh, lyrically. He offers nothing worth holding on to. It'd be nice 
excuse me, it'll, it'll be a nice break when, when they get back to live shows and this fits into their acoustic set right before the finale. But otherwise, <laughs> the songs, I mean, like, like I said, the guitar playing's pretty, the production on it is gorgeous. Lyrically, it's vapid. It's just another song to fill in their acoustic set so they could change something out. Yeah, so along with, now you share a lot of the same thoughts, uh, along with Cloud Spotter, I think this is actually not, in my opinion, the next best song of the album. Like, I get some no, my wrong on that. Some my morning, right? <laughs> I get some my morning jagged vibes here, and a really conscious effort to make a pretty sounding tune. The acoustics, as you said, they sound nice. It's clean. The song overall matches at least the lyrical content. So there's some continuity there. I'm curious as to when this was written because I maybe even could have seen this on on their last album. Um, I think this is actually the progression where, in the midst of these amped up songs we get this tune um and it, it's kind of you know it, one is all you need to hear what they're trying to do here so i don't mind that this is kind of like the lone wolf in this um i actually think this should have been the last track uh, as i like it um unfortunately it's not the last track because the last track is the next song <laughs> love <laughs> love dies young um this is track nine, the last track. We get more My Morning Jacket vibes for one minute. And, and then I sent some some killers in there. Um, I got fooled by the hard riff in the beginning. Outside of that, I'm not really caring about this for an album closer. I can't stress enough my unenthused uh, feelings towards this. And and actually the album, uh, this I don't like this song at all, Mark. Yeah, fuck, I hate everything <laughs> about this song. Um it's a it's another track stuck between being cheap disco bullshit and post grunge number, but I, it, it's got a bunch of overproduced production to cover the fact that this song has absolutely no heart. Um, there are so many layers here that none of them matter, and all they do is cover the fact that none of this song fucking works. It sucks. I'm, I'm, I just I can't even get into it because it's just gonna my brain's gonna explode if I hear Love Dies Young repeated 900 times again <laughs> yep well at the very least it was a short record yes frank hit us with your final thoughts my brother oh i will oh i will and and you know i want to put it out there that i have no objections i know mark feels the same about a band kind of taking their sound and building upon it making something different but mark brought up a really good point especially in that last song can the new songs you create and whatever style you're trying to go with, whatever you're trying to incorporate, whether they be polyrhythms, uh, different vibes, whatever, disco beats, do they have heart? Do they have heart? And I think that's an important factor because that's what's going to engage with music fanatics like Mark and myself. So you give it a lot of thought about this. And I, again, I don't just want to seem like we give good ratings to the albums and the bands we like and a negative to those that we say are maybe like in our second tier or below for us. I, I think the Foo Fighters are a great band. And they deserve all the credit. However, I do feel that most of their current albums are just middle of the road records. You get these well-written songs or parts of songs thrown into a lot of mediocre tunes. The acclaim comes from the fact that they are super likable and that they've been around for a while, which which I totally I totally get. Now that doesn't mean everything though they touch is gold. Uh, this album had a clear-cut vibe as to what they were going for, and I think they achieved it at some points. And other points, I think it showed that they put together these run-of-the-mill songs that don't do anything and that are found on each one of their 
previous nine records. My, my favorites were Cloud Spotter and Chasing Birds. And I think that's the high point. And the low point is a track, the opening track, Making a Fire. All that did was get me aggravated, which is funny because Marcus, I was telling you, after I put this together, I read some reviews saying that that was the high point. Uh, it, it's just, it's funny how that happens. Listen, I give this record a six out of 10, five points for them just because they're the Foo Fighters. That's all I got to say. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Yeah, I have to agree with those other folks here, buddy. Um, Make a Fire was the highest of highlights off this boring-ass fucking record. <laughs> um, they were going for a sound, and I think, they, I think they got the sound. You know, Tone has never been an issue for the Foo Fighters. We all know that they can produce beautiful-sounding records, but where are the hooks and the, the, that catch you and, and pull you in? Where are the memorable lines that stick to your heart and people get fucking tattooed on their bodies? They're not fucking here. This record to me is a classic example of jack of all trades, master of none. Just because you can put out a Maroon 5 record doesn't mean you should, <laughs> asshole. No, you're, you expect a little hopefulness on a Foo Fighters album. But right. Despite being a pop album, it's a total fucking bummer. Um this record, I, and, and I know Frank gave them points just for being the Foo Fighters. I'm giving them two out of ten. Fuck this record. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm assuming the two points are for them actually being the Foo Fighters. Or did you give them one and then one for the record? <laughs> no, no. I, hey, look, the production of it sounded great. There were parts I liked. Yeah, right, right. But in all honesty, the rest of the, the rest of this album was so bad that it detracted from every good thing that happened. So every time I was like, okay, I kind of like what they're doing on this one, or I, I like that intro, there's just so much weighing against it that I, I can't give it a better score than two out of 10. It's like a constant uh, division problem that keeps canceling each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> canceling mm -hmm. things out. <laughs> oh man. So listen, uh, that's what we think about the album folks. Yeah. Sorry, but that's, that's the, that's what it is now. Yeah since we're talking about Dave Grohl here and shocker to all, right. He was Nirvana. Let's do a top 10 of people who were in one band and went on to form another band for whatever reasons being kicked out, the band dissolving, what playing in another band, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, what do you say, Mark, you want to do it? Yeah, that sounds like good, a uh, pretty good time. Uh, I made a pretty good list for this. You, you want to go first? Or you want me to, uh, I'll go first. If that's cool. Yeah, by all means. All right, so here you go. No particular order. We go five and five. Uh, first up on my list is Jesse Lacey. Now, this is for one. This is one for me to self-indulge in. Uh, Lacey was actually part of Taking Back Sunday in their early days and was kicked out. Uh, he then formed brand new. And all I gotta say is he wrote some of my favorite records. One in particular, "The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me." No shock there. Um, yeah. So my first up was Mr. Jess, Jesse Lacey. What about you, Mark? I got to tell you, I prefer brand new so much more <laughs> that good job kicking him out, dude. You did me a favor. Right. Absolutely. Um, Made some great records. <laughs> yeah. So first one for me, uh, founding member of Hot Water Music, uh, George Rebello, which yeah. is kind of one of the best names in punk rock, Rebello. Um, Rebello. George has been a driving force in modern punk rock drum drumming. He joined the Bouncing Souls in 2013. Let's just say he's not been the issue with those last two <laughs> records. Um, yeah, but he's He's doing both bands, so I kind of hope this counts. Um, any excuse I can get to just point out what a great drummer George Rebello is. Uh, be sure to check out his work, both in Hot Water Music and The Bouncing Souls. 
fantastic fantastic next on my list is alex chilton uh i think actually chilton's contributions to music are insanely underrated i mean he fronted the box tops uh with hits like the letter cry like a baby and soul deep then he went on to be in big star which has a huge huge following i mean people are obsessed with big star um you know might have to do a dive into them at, at some point, uh, just sure. going a little further into details and stuff like that. But Alex Chilton, box tops, then big star. There you have it. Very nice. My next choice uh, is Randy Rhodes. Now we yeah. talked about him uh, back on our Masters of Reality episode. Please check that out in our archives. Um, but look, this dude went from Quiet Riot, right? Which arguably sucked. Because uh, I don't think he was in the band for Come On Feel the Noise yet either. So I don't even think he was there when they were popular. Right. Um, but he went on to be in Blizzard of Oz and had the smash hit with Ozzy, Crazy Train. Uh, you know, definitely a career I would have loved to have seen played out if it weren't for his tragic death. Randy Rhodes, one of the great guitarists, uh, lost too soon. Yeah. True words, my friend. Number three is Kim Deal, founding member of the Pixies, and went on to form the Breeders. These bands both have absolutely, again, massive cult followings. I think that that's a good um, standard to look at if you could be in two bands that have massive cult followings and have sustained as Pixies have. Uh, Kim Deal, number three on my list. Number three for me is uh, this one's for you, Frankie, uh, Mr. Lars Fredrickson. Yes. You have heard us gush about how awesome Rancid is, and they are. But don't sleep on Lars Fredrickson's and the Bastards or his latest project, The Old Firm Casuals. The so Bastards good. are pure party punk rock. The Old Firm Casualty are classic, modern hardcore band. No frills, just punch you in the mouth, hardcore punk rock and roll. Uh, and follow him on Instagram. Lars is actually really kind of fun on Instagram. Plus, he sells a bunch of really cool records you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. But, Lars fucking Fredrickson, that dude rules. And his and the wrestling podcast is pretty cool. Oh, that's right. I forgot he's doing a wrestling podcast. You're into that, right? Oh, a to- hands down. He's a wrestling nerd, not me. So old school wrestling. That, old school wrestling nerd. <laughs> I know that sound was, but I enjoyed doing it. Nice. Yeah, he interviewed uh, Kurt Angle recently. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Angle recently, and it was pretty good. Oh. And uh, he's got a lot of cool, like old vintage uh, wrestling toys from the 90s i guess vintage nowadays but uh that he tries to sell anyway cool stuff uh next for me is uh david coverdale so this is for your hair metal fans out there uh say what you want but the guy's voice is absolutely insane uh he once fronted deep purple and then white snake i mean a- a- impressive you don't have to like yeah you know, necessarily both those bands or you could be into deep purple and not be into white snake but regardless dude's got a voice fronted both those bands there you go yeah serious set of pipes on that dude yep um my next choice is henry rollins now i know you might have expected me to put him as number one uh for my picks but he's coming in second uh those black flag records are unbelievably important to the second wave of punk rock and honestly shaped uh the next 20 years of not just punk, but rock and roll um, as, as we know it. But Henry's solo work with the Rollins band stands, firm, stands motherfuck, firmly on its own. Uh, Henry unapologetically morphed his poetry into honest lyrics set to increasingly more creative and aggressive music. 
check out the album Nice. Uh, it's my personal favorite, but it's not streaming in the usual places. You can find it uh, in full or in pieces, however you like, um, on YouTube. So YouTube, if you you need to start monetizing us, goddammit. I know I swear too much, but... Absolutely. I'm sending people your way, YouTube. What the fuck? Where's my money? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> start, start that now. Start that now. Exactly. And people at home are like, I don't know. All we're doing is watching you shrug a lot this episode. Well, I'm sorry. This album sucks. <laughs> Rawlings is such an interesting character. I mean, I could you could listen to him all day long. Um, he he doesn't fit any box, which is amazing. Which yeah. is amazing. He'll tell you things like it is, you know, from going on Howard and proclaiming, and I agree with this that the edge from YouTube stinks, yeah. uh, as does you too. And then going to Joe Rogan saying how he's good friends with Ted Nugent, like it, it's it's unbelievable. And you could learn just so much from him speaking. So uh, not only that, but just the way he takes care of his, his body and, and the health and all that stuff. So so obsessed with these fit singers. Frank. Yeah, I know. I know, man. <laughs> it, it's, it's jealousy. That's all it is. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Last is um, Jimmy Page for me. Um, okay. listen, I'm not the biggest Zeppelin fan. Uh, and I wanted to you know, expand uh, or I wanted to put in different people here. I had some other, other people, but I felt like I had at least put him in there uh, because he wasn't the Yardbirds and then Led Zeppelin, which is a feat upon itself. Uh, no matter if I like the music or not, you know, you can't deny that he was one of the, the great guitar players or is one of the great guitar players. So Yardbirds and then Zeppelin, I feel like that that was at least worthy to make a list. So fair enough. On uh, the complete opposite realm of the world, my last pick. Uh, is another drummer, Bill Stevenson. Bill Stevenson. Uh, but easily uh, my all-time favorite when it comes to drummers. I think He was so. in Black Flag with Rollins. He was a founding member of the Descendants and all. Um, as a super, uh, excuse me, as well as the, the super underrated Only Crime, who have oh. three records, each of one, uh, each of which, excuse me, is well worth your attention. Uh, but he's not just a drummer. He writes music and lyrics for any and all of the projects he's involved in. Bill Stevenson is one of those uh, punk rock greats that gets overlooked because he's not uh, a buff singer, Frank. Yeah, and not to mention <laughs> not to, <laughs> not to mention the uh, production that he's done on some some records too that we absolutely just adore. So. Absolutely, his work at the Blasting Room cannot be uh, underrated because if you look through what the Blasting Room and he has done in production there, uh, some of your favorite records that you didn't know about. Or some you, you didn't know that he put some of your favorite records together. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, Mark, that's one heck of a list that we put together, my friend. You know, it sure is, Frank. What uh, what are you thinking of for next week? Well, I know we miss live music, and there's only so much, you know, YouTube that, that we could get into. Um, but what what do you say we break out some live albums, Mark? I love it. I've been dying to go to a show and sing my lungs out. Well, if I pick our first live record to dive into. Let's do it, my old friend. Go ahead. Absolutely. I've been itching to break this one out because we've been talking uh, increasingly, you and I, offline. How do we introduce a band like Thin Lizzy? Um, and I think the answer is live. Live. Live and dangerous. Yes. So the record is split between um, London in 76 and then Philly and Toronto in 77. With some overdubs added, um, for some reason in Paris. Um, now, how much was overdubbed is a, a question of great mystery um, and, and a little bit of controversy out there. Um, 
I don't really give a fuck. I think this album sounds cool. It's a great way to, to introduce a guy like Frank to Thin Lizzy because they just, uh, they do a great job of putting some really quality performances together. I think you're really going to dig this. Yeah, I'm excited. It, again, it's one of those bands that probably people are like, oh, how come you haven't listened to them? Hey, it just happens. It's nothing intentional. Uh, and I'm, I'm ready to rock, man, especially after listening to this album this week. So I'm excited, man. I know you are, right, Mark? You know I am. Woohoo! Hey, folks, listen, that's the show to now. Uh, for now, be sure to check us out next week, of course, for Thin Lizzy Live and Dangerous. And while you're at it, don't forget to drop us a line. Give us record suggestion to check out. Hey, let us know if you think we're out of our minds, too, with this review. Let us know. Let us know what your favorite tracks were. Let us know what your uh, least favorite tracks are, like Making a Fire. So anyway, folks out there, thanks for listening. Be safe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to politely disagreeing and calling you an asshole online. Bye-bye! <laughs>